0: and click on the Building fund tab. Joshua told the people, Consecrate yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do amazing things among you. Together, let's prepare for an amazing tomorrow. Thanks and God bless. It's good to be back with you guys. I was gone the last two Sundays. Thank you to Randy, who covered, did a great job. I heard his first talk, I still need to listen to the second one, Uh, but it was great the things that he shared. And if you don't know, I was in Haiti uh, last week or the week before, Uh, got back Sunday night late, uh, so I wasn't here Sunday morning. When I was in Haiti, the news that you get is infrequent because there's really not much Wi-Fi. Because of the thunderstorms at one of the hotels where there usually is Wi-Fi, there wasn't any. And so I have no idea what's going on back here, right? And then finally you get a little Wi-Fi signal and it takes forever for a page to load, but you finally get it. And then I hear the news of what's happened in Charlottesville and in Spain. And I'm thinking, oh my gosh, you know, I go to Haiti for a week and the world falls apart. No, it's been falling apart, right? But it's just grieving to read these things and to think, oh my gosh, what's going on here? And so... This morning, I want to step into a conversation about the tension that is in our country right now, the racial tension that is there. And I think it's important for us to do so. We can't ignore these things. They don't go away. And unless we step into this conversation, I think we're going to limit our voice in that conversation. And so this morning, I'm going to talk about washing hands or washing feet. Originally, I was going to do this in two parts because I just felt like there's a lot. So be patient with me this morning. I want to cover a lot of ground. But if I just did one part, I felt it was going to be very depressing and very kind of like blasting. We need to end with this understanding of you are the light of this world. There is hope. You are that hope because of what you have in the message of Christ. And so turn with me to John chapter 27. Starting at verse 22. Jesus has been accused falsely and has been brought to trial and now is standing before Pilate. Pilate has this debate with Jesus whether he should be released or not. And he finally says to him, we talked about this just a little bit few weeks ago, about what is truth. Jesus says, I bring this kingdom that is not of this world. And Pilate in verse 22 said to him, then what shall I do with Jesus who is called Christ? They all said, let him be crucified. And he said, why? What evil has he done? But they shouted all the more, let him be crucified. So when Pilate saw that he was gaining nothing, but rather that a riot was beginning, he took water and washed his hands before the crowd saying, I'm innocent of this man's blood, see to it yourself. This symbolic washing of hands as if now it's not my responsibility, it's on your hands, it's not on my hands. And what Pilate was doing was trying to negate the responsibility that was there upon him. One of the things that you do when you're in Haiti, there's a saying, don't ever refuse a hand wipe or a breath mint. You don't want to refuse a hand wipe because you got to keep your hands clean so that you don't get sick because it's pretty dirty. There's a lot of trash around. There's a lot of things that you can contact by the dirt that is there. But you see, washing your hands is not enough. If you just keep clean hands in Haiti, but you drink the water, you're in trouble. Okay, you'll get something. People have caught many things, cholera and those things. And even the foods you eat, you got to be careful of. Now, the restaurants and the places we frequent are places that are aware of the problems and so they have water, they clean their food with water that is purified. But if you just eat vegetables or a salad and it was washed with dirty water, there's a good chance that you're going to get sick because of how bad the water is or even some of the foods. And also, if you do not use... DEET mosquito repellent, you are probably going to get bit and there's a chance of you getting malaria. I'm still on my malaria pills. I call it Malaria Monday because every Monday I've got to take my malaria pills and they give you amazing dreams. It's kind of going to be sad when they go away. (laughs) But you have to protect yourself from these diseases as well. And it's kind of, you know, sad. You you shower because it's very humid there and you shower and you feel fresh and then you got to spray yourself with all kinds of poison, you know, so you don't get sick. Like, well, that felt good for a second, you know, and now I'm ready to go out there. But you see, washing your hands is not enough. You have to take all these other precautions as well. Otherwise, it will affect you drastically. And I think a lot of times we want to wash our hands From things that are happening and saying, it's not my issue, it's not my problem, what does that have to do with me? And it's not enough. When we talk about racial tension in our time, slavery always comes up because it's undoubtedly a part of our history and a part of our conversation. And many times, again, the idea will be, well, That was so long ago, it's a tragic part of our history, but what does that have to do with me? And the idea that a group of people, whether it be ethnically or socially, religiously, or even because of their age and children, can be forced into servitude is appalling, but it's not foreign. It still happens today, and of course it's happened in our country, and it shouldn't surprise us. We see the idea of slavery as early as Genesis chapter 9, where Canaan was going to be a servant of servants. The children of Israel were enslaved by the Egyptians, by the Persians, by the Babylonians, by the Romans. In even more recent history, we see what happened with the genocide with Nazi Germany and the six million Jews that were slaughtered. See, it's a story of humanity. But the story of God's work in humanity has a trajectory. God is going somewhere. And in spite of all the pitfalls that we see in humanity, it doesn't stop the evolution of God's plan unfolding in humanity. In chapter 18 of Genesis and chapter 22, God says that all the nations of the earth were to be blessed through this one tribe, that of Abraham. Now, at a time when tribes were all about self-preservation, were all about establishing dominance and strength, God speaks into one man's life and says, through you, I am going to bless everyone else. Think of how forward this thinking is, even today. That a nation would be here to bless all the other nations. That it's not about self-preservation. It's not about advancing itself. That it's actually about blessing everyone else. That that was the purpose. That was the trajectory that God was starting way back in Genesis with Abraham. It was his purpose. And we see even the fulfillment of that in Revelation chapter 7. Turn with me there, Revelation chapter 7. Remember, it's the book of Revelation with an N, not an S at the end. It's not revelations, it's not plural, it's one revelation. It is the revelation of Jesus Christ. The whole book is to reveal who Jesus is. If we keep this in mind when we read it, we'll escape some of these wacky things that take place, trying to say, oh, these things are happening. The end of the world's happening. September 23rd, I guess it's going to happen now. Okay. If you look at chapter 12, it's the revelation of Jesus. It's really speaking of who Jesus was. That's a side note. Okay. Revelation chapter seven, verse nine, it says, after this, I looked and behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation from all tribes and peoples and languages standing before the throne and before the lamb clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands. This is speaking of cleansing purity and it's speaking of peace. This is the trajectory. This is where God is going. Verse 10 and crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the lamb, which is Jesus. And all the angels are standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures and they fell on their face. Before the throne and worship God, saying, Amen. Blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. This is what God's intention is. This is God's plan that every nation, every tribe, every people, every language would be standing together in peace before God giving him glory. This is what the kingdom of God looks like. And so when Jesus says, my kingdom come, thy will be done as earth as it is in heaven, this is what it is in heaven. This is what it looks like. Your kingdom come, your will be done. From Abraham to the declaration and John's revelation, We see that God is taking humanity to a place where he's cleansing us and it's not enough to wash our hands. It's something that involves our very lives. If we're going to be part of the kingdom that God is building. Turn earlier to chapter 5 verses 7 through 10. We see again and he went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne and when he had taking the scroll the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb each holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense which are the prayers of the saints and they sang a new song saying worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals for you were slain and your blood you ransomed people for God again it's the revelation of who Jesus is from every tribe and language and people and nation. In verse 10, it says, and you have made them, all of them, a kingdom and priest to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. You see, when Jesus says, your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven, he is talking about what God is doing through humanity. Humanity. He is developing a kingdom of priests for himself from every nation, from every tribe, from every language. That's what the kingdom of God looks like and the kingdom is being brought to you by the people who belong to God. If we are going to bridge the gap from where we are today to where God wants us to be as a people, a part of his kingdom then there's some difficult things that need to be done. And there's some difficult things that I'm going to talk about this morning. I am not trying to talk about things to upset anybody. I'm not trying to make you uncomfortable. I'm not trying to belittle anyone or their thoughts. It's uncomfortable for me to talk about uncomfortable things, so we might as well be uncomfortable together and step into these things Because my intention isn't to condemn anyone here, but it's to illuminate what I believe is the heart of God that we see in what God has done through Jesus and is doing in people, through every nation, every language, all over the world. You know, I keep hearing... Different things. When I came back, I was able to actually read a lot more and I watched all kinds of videos to try and find out what's happened. And I'm hearing really a lot of extreme views. And extreme views are almost always limited views, they give you a little bit but they give you enough to polarize things. And the media is great at polarizing things because if we can polarize things, we can keep it simple, we can get people motivated and get them engaged, but the extreme views are usually limited and they're just trying to get us to take a side. And as I watched these videos and I read and I listened to a lot of things, there were things that really bothered me and there were things that just really made me question what is going on and what needs to take place? One of the things I listened to and watched was a TED talk by Melody Hobson. It was a number of years ago, and she talked about the, the fallacy of this colorblind attitude. Because we don't live in a colorblind world, and we shouldn't. We have people of various colors, and with them, have the various cultures, and that is normal. What she talked about was being color brave. And I love that term. And she said, to do this, we have to step into the conversation as uncomfortable it is. And that's the first step is not to hide from it. And the next step is to actually be aware of it. What is the problem? What are the tensions? What is going on that is causing issues that we have today? How did we get to this place where we are? And of course, you can go back and say, well, okay, it started at slavery. But didn't slavery end with the abolition in 1865? Well, maybe it did, but things didn't change. And what bothers me as I went back and looked at history through this, there are so many times where the church was on the wrong side of history. You see, there were people who went to church who thought it was okay to have another person as their slave. There were churches that didn't know what to do when a black person wanted to be baptized because if they're baptized, that means they're one of us. They're one of our brothers. How do we now do that? So they wouldn't baptize them, even though they'd let them come to the church because they couldn't quite go that distance. And when I hear white supremacists quoting scripture and saying they belong to Jesus, it aggravates me. It boils my blood because I do not want to see the church on the wrong side of history again. And so the abolition of slavery in 1865, it was a, a big and monumental step, but it did not change everything. People are afraid of change. They want to hold on to life the way they know it to be. And so they established other laws to help maintain the system of life that they were used to. And so you're, many of you are aware of the Jim Crow laws beginning in the 1880s just a short time later so that they can maintain a segregation so that we could have our restrooms, our drinking fountains, our places to eat. Oh, slavery's done, but segregation is still here. Why? Because we're afraid of the change that would take place. And again, the church, many of them are on the wrong side of history in supporting the Jim Crow laws. Where was the church? What would have happened if today, with all that we know, we would have been present then and would have made a loud voice saying, not in our church, this isn't going to happen. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. We are going to be a part of what God is doing. And what God is doing includes every nation, every language, every tribe. That's what God's intention was, to bless the world. We are not gonna stop that. Where was that voice? Where was that voice? But the segregation continued. And then finally, through the civil rights movement in the 1950s and the Supreme Court decision of Brown versus Brown and the education of Topeka in 1954, we see that there is an end of this segregation where now the blacks are allowed to go to the white schools and there's gonna be the removal of this whites only and coloreds only and the back of the bus kind of situation. It is no longer legal, but does it go away? No, it doesn't go away. And there are still problems. There's problems with the government and the banking system where the federal housing agency would not give loans to people of color. And they would not allow people to build communities that were going to be segregated. They would withhold money from these communities. And this is happening because of... Our government and some of the rules all the way up till the fair housing act which was in 1968 we're not talking about now the 1800s we're talking about 1968 where finally a law comes and says you cannot discriminate housing be- based on color 1968 there were people before 1968 who could not buy homes because the banking system had the right not to loan them money, would not loan money to people who were trying to segregate society. And so people who were of color had to get homes in other areas, which are now known as ghettos. That means some of your great-grandparents knew people who were not able to buy homes or not able to buy homes. Some of your grandparents were not able to buy homes. Some of your parents were not able to buy homes just because they were black. What are the ramifications of that? If you're not able to have a home, it forces you into a lower class structured housing. Again, the ghettos leading to segregation And it becomes impossible to invest in really black neighborhoods because you can't inherit property. You can't take out loans on property. And so the wealth is gone in these communities. Education. Education, property taxes are what fund the schools. What happens when you have homes that are of no value? What kind of education are going to be in those areas? They have no money for the education because they have no money coming in to that community. So it affects the school systems in there, getting less education. More education means more opportunities. So the jobs, you have lower education, results in lower paying jobs, manual labor. And so when we hear things like white privilege and we think, well, that's not how it is today. You see, we're not talking about the way things are, we're talking about the way things are because of the way things were where not long ago, the injustice was so prevalent that it affects how things are now. Even the laws. Cocaine is so much more powerful than crack, but the sentences for crack are 100 times worse than they are for cocaine. Think of the implications of that. And again, what bothers me the most is these things took place and many of the times the church stood on the wrong side. The church was silent and washing its hands while the segregation was taking place, while the injustice, the people in the banking system who went to church on Sunday and refused to help these people because of their color. We can't change or fix the past. We can't. We can't go back and make things different. But we can create a new future. We can move forward. And Jesus doesn't change the past. He creates the future. And our future at peace with God and with each other is the trajectory that we are to be moving in. So what was Jesus' attitude towards those who he was with? You see, Pilate wanted to wash his hands and claim, I'm not responsible, even though he was a person in a place of responsibility. What we see Jesus do is take responsibility for people who he was not really responsible for. In John chapter 13, we have the beautiful account of this where Jesus is washing Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is the messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. I'm not speaking of all of you. I know whom I have chosen, but the scripture will be fulfilled. He who ate my bread and has lifted his heel against me, I am telling you this now before it takes place, that when it does take place, you may believe that I am he, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever receives this one I send, receives me. And whoever receives me, receives the one who sent me. Jesus comes and he starts serving the people who he's really not responsible for. He takes on the responsibility of people he owed nothing to. He decided, I am going to serve you, not because I have to, but because I choose to. You see, how do we get to God's kingdom? This is how, where we choose to serve the people around us. In Luke chapter 4, verse 18, Jesus beginning his ministry says, because he, God, has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim liberty to the captive and recovery of sight to the blind. He set at liberty those who are oppressed to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. The entire narrative of Scripture is God reaching to those who cry out to him in poverty, in distress. Those who are the lowest among society is where God steps in and says, I hear your voice, your cries have come up to me and will not go unnoticed. It happens throughout all of Scripture. From the children of Israel to Jesus and where he's at with the people talking to the prostitutes, talking to the tax collectors, those who are outcasts of society are the ones that God hears and God makes friends with, who God washes the feet of. Why? Because he had to know he chose to. I heard one of the things I listened to was another pastor, a famous pastor, and he was asked, what is our response to Charlottesville? What is happening? And he shared his involvement with the civil rights movement. And it was very impressive, the things that he had been involved with. But his conclusion was basically, man is broken, man is sinful. And this is just the heart of man. He has given up on these things that God has instructed in the law. And so it's going to get worse. And all I saw was Pilate washing his hands, saying, I am not going to let it get worse, not on my watch. I will not be on that side of history again. Not when I have the power to make it better. Not when I have the power to wash the feet of those who are in need and help their lives get better. It does not have to go this way. I know what the kingdom of heaven looks like. I read about it, and it's all of us together living in peace cleansed by what God has done. That's the kingdom come. That's what I am going to live for. I will not wash my hands of the responsibility and say it's just too late. So then the question comes, how do we wash the feet? How do we take the responsibility of others? A friend of mine wrote a piece, a spoken word piece, We actually recorded it. We're supposed to put a video of it a few years back. The recording is on a hard disk somewhere, but it never got to video. But I have her words here. Her name is Monique. Monique is a teacher in Mississippi. She is the only Chinese person in her area. And what Monique has done is chosen to go to this school to teach. And I want to read what she wrote. When people ask me where home is, I always have a little bit of an internal struggle. I know it sounds weird and I should just say Los Angeles County or specifically Arcadia, California, but instead I tell them it's kind of complicated. I spent this last year as a fifth grade teacher in Mississippi Delta to 21 of the most amazing individuals I have ever met. I work and live in the poorest region of the poorest state in the nation where Plantation Drive and Cotton Drive are actual cross streets in my town. It is a place where I've been seated in the colored section at a restaurant, where paddling kids in school is still legal and segregation academies exist, where student achievement is rated an F and the state has been rated 51st in the nation, where statistically we have the highest dropout rates and the lowest graduation rates where one of my students had told me her biggest dream in the whole entire world was to be a cashier at Walmart, where my students had been labored and behaviorally challenged and low-performing, where one of my students had gotten upset and asked me why had so much work to do, we had so much work to do when all their teacher did last year was sleep in the classroom. In hindsight, I came into this classroom knowing absolutely nothing about how to teach, and to be honest, I still really don't know exactly what I'm doing most of the time. I don't know what to do when my student has three state tests to take, school administration, district administration, and the Mississippi Mississippi Department of Education in and out of my classroom. Truthfully, my vision wasn't for my kids to be good test takers, I wanted them to be good people. I wanted them to be dreamers and critical thinkers and problem solvers, to be readers and writers. They left my classroom reading on third and fourth grade levels with 21% growth in language arts, 28% in math, and 41% in science. Yes, the data shows growth, but I've realized that the real growth isn't in the numbers Growth is in the fact that they left knowing about the civil rights movement, Brown versus Board of Education. They critically analyzed our educational system and asked each other big questions like, if segregation was so long ago, why don't we go to school with any white kids? Growth is Tyreek learning how to spell his name and the rest of the classmates celebrating his big success. Growth is Rob saying that the two big things she learned this year were how to respect others and to talk about her feelings. It's Quincy throwing his books and pushing a desk, but taking the initiative to apologize to his class afterwards. It's the look on Tony's face after learning how to multiply a complicated problem on his own. It's the fact that hardly any of my kids had shaken an adult's hand before entering the fifth grade. It's 180 days of entering the classroom with a firm handshake and eye contact. Growth is taking them to a college and career fair and having university reps comment on how well they know how to introduce themselves. These are my kids. They consistently push me to be the best, best version of myself possible. I think they are where I have seen the most God sometimes. Sometimes I feel like he placed us all in this church and called it a classroom instead. They ask me questions and write me notes, and I can only wonder if this is scripture reincarnated. I I think they are God's way of answering my prayers. It's ironic, but I am learning by teaching to have faith in something bigger than myself. They remind me of what truth looks like. At the end of the day, despite what the statistics say about those kids, those are the most brilliant ambitious, insightful people I know. Those kids, those kids are my kids. So when people ask me what it's like to teach the middle of nowhere, I let them know that the middle of nowhere is the middle of everywhere for my kids. So it's the middle of everywhere to me too. My kids are the best part of my life. They are my heart. They are my home. This is what it looks like to wash the feet. It's to step into the lives of these kids who no one else will step into the lives to. There's more money to be made in Arcadia, but there is more to do in Mississippi. You see, so many times we go where the money is. Why? Because that is our dream. That is what kept us silent when we said, well, I can have my neighborhood and I can have my school for my kids, even though it would be harder to step in the lives and do things that were difficult because they were the right things to do and would cost me more. It's time we stop worrying about ourselves and see how much it's going to cost us to live like Jesus and to wash the feet of this world that needs him desperately because with us comes the hope of tomorrow today we have the hope only if we take it up only if we do it we cannot ignore this call and just live for self and say it's the american dream if the american dream isn't the kingdom of god then i will leave it now for the kingdom's sake because there is something more that i'm living for and i will stand on the right side of history when i stand on god's side of history My friend Brian went to a dialysis center because his aunt needs a kidney transplant. And as he was there just getting tested to find out if he was compatible and answering questions because there's a psychological profile that he has to go through, he was talking to some of the people and some of the people were there to donate their kidney and they did not even know who they were donating it for. They were donating a kidney to someone who they did not even know. That's what it looks like to live for God. It is to sacrifice for the benefit of others and not just because you're going to get something from it. This is what it looks like to wash the feet of the world. If God has always stood for those who have been enslaved and oppressed and who are in need then shouldn't we if we have the means to do good and hold from our brother what good are we we are the change that the world needs we have the ability to create a new future if we want If we care to, if we care enough about the needs of others and not just trying to live to satisfy ourselves. I wonder what it would look like to take out a home loan, not so you could do an improvement, but so that you could help someone go to school who couldn't. I wonder what it would look like if you took your job and instead of trying to get a promotion to go somewhere else actually took a demotion and went somewhere that actually helped more people. I wonder what it would look like to really be motivated by what is better for others than just better for ourselves. Sometimes I laugh as I look at my (laughs) career because it seems like the older I get, the less I make. And I think, I must be making some wrong decisions here. (laughs) The problem is when I do make what I do make, what do I do with it? Am I just a consumer? Or am I building the kingdom of God? And and I want to challenge you to get outside of yourself get outside of your political party and understand that people are going to identify you with what you say and if you go to extreme views they're going to pigeonhole you there is no way I'm going to stand with a person who is a white supremacist and say yeah I'm for your policies I will not do it because I will not be identified with that person I will not Now, if you go to a rally with a helmet and a baseball bat and mace, I'm not going to stand with you either. Okay, You're, you're not moving where I'm moving. But I am going to stand on the side of history that points to the kingdom of God where every tongue and every tribe and every nation stands together and proclaims, God has been good to me. God has washed my feet and he has cleansed me and I am going to do the same for you, whoever you are. This is how we become the light of the world. This is how we change our nation. This is how we move from people who wash our hands of responsibility to people who get on our knees and wash the feet of those who are in need. Are you with me? Let's pray. Father, so many times I want to shun away from responsibility because it is going to cost more of me. And what I really want is more comfort. Lord, I pray you would help me to put aside my comfort and look for how I can bring blessing to others, that I would not look just for my own interests, but look for the interests of others. Lord, I pray for us as a community here at Genesis, Lord, that we would be a revolution in the making, that we would be a community that will not stand for injustice when we see it. We'll speak out against it. We will side with those who are oppressed. We will do all that we can to help those who are in need move forward, whether it be in our own communities, whether it be in Mexico, whether it be in Haiti. Lord, giving a kidney If that's what it takes, we are the ones who say, okay, going and teaching in Mississippi, if that's what it takes, we are the people who say, I will do it. Adopting a family or someone who is in need to help them make it through school and teach them after school, if that's what it takes, then that's what we will do. Because we are driven by your heart. Lord, this terrifies me. I I fear what you ask of me, God. But I fear more what will happen to me if I don't do it. What good is it to gain the whole world and lose my soul, lose who I'm supposed to be as your follower? May we recognize that we are a kingdom of priests. We represent you. Help us to represent you well. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together. May we abandon any ideology or theology that supports prejudice. May we recognize that to change the course of history, we need to change the human heart. May we not react to what happens. May we change what will happen. His will be done on earth as it is in heaven bless you guys have a wonderful day you have been listening to the genesis podcast we invite you to join us at one of our weekly gatherings you can find more information at www.thegenesisstory.com as well as opportunities to help financially support this podcast thank you for listening